Hello and welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast. We're on a mission to optimize our lives through faith, health, wisdom, and much more. Thank you for joining us on our journey. Here now is our host, Nick Carlisle. What is good, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast, where it is my duty to explore all things related to living an optimized and fulfilling life. I personally am on the never-ending journey to improve myself and figured why not share my findings and my conversations with as many people as possible. This episode is brought to you by MyLifeEnchanted.com, which is where you can find all things related to the Life Enchanted movement. You can sign up for my email newsletter on there, read my blog, check out some apparel I designed, and a bunch of other stuff as well. Also, I would love to keep this podcast relatively sponsor-free, and to do that, I need your support through Patreon. You can visit the support tab on my website to learn more about that. Your contributions through Patreon will keep the Life Enchanted content flowing and will also help me dedicate more time to expanding the content, i.e. the blog and newsletter and whatnot. But most importantly, a portion of every cent that comes through Patreon and my online store will be donated to Metro World Child. You can find out more about them through my website on that support tab. Also, please consider leaving a rating and possibly a review of the podcast on whatever platform you're using. Your feedback helps other people discover the show and join the movement. For this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Ashley Hales, who is the author of an amazing, much-needed book titled Finding Holy in the Suburbs, subtitle Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much. And chances are, if you are listening to this podcast, you probably need to read this book. We dive into some of the content of the book in this episode, and it was really a pleasure for me to speak with her. So without further ado, Ashley Hales, ladies and gentlemen. We are live. Ashley, welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's It's, great to be here. It's my pleasure. So your book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, was literally thrown at me on the table in front of me (laughs) when I was at um, a brunch with my good friend. His name is Anthony Seiler. He was actually on this podcast as well, episode number 43. Yeah, and he's he's a super solid dude. He's... He's very intentional about the way he does life. Uh, he's an elder at the church that I attend, and when, yeah. he's one of the dudes that when he speaks, I listen. Um, so so yeah. needless to say, when he threw that book in front of me, <laughs> he was like, dude, you need to check this book out, and he kind of explained the premise behind it, and I was immediately hooked because you write about a topic that is extremely prevalent and mm-hmm. I think hits home for a lot of us believers living out in the mm-hmm. suburbs. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's not spoken about very much in the faith community. Why do you think that is? You know, I think there's just so much around us. It's like the water we swim in that says you need to buy more, achieve more, you know, accomplish more, have more money, vacations. And even, you know, the Christian churches, we haven't done a great job in the last generations of you know, helping people be formed 
uh, into a different sort of community, right? That, mm. that looks, um, that looks different than the world around us. I think we just kind of live our consumer driven lives in the suburbs and like have Jesus as our cherry on top, honestly. Yeah. And, uh, or, you know, we're told the story that like to be a real Christian, like you move overseas or you like live in the inner city or you're ministering to cultural elites in, mm-hmm. you know, New York city. And it's not that those aren't good callings, but I think most of us live in suburbia. Most of us live kind of ordinary lives and what's mm-hmm. it look like to live faithfully towards Jesus's kingdom there. So that, yeah, that's something that I wanted to discover not only for my own life, but you know, the lives of our church members and neighbors as well as can we, can we do this here? Or is the only answer to you know go big or go home? Yeah. What, what was the inspiration behind you writing the book? Um, I think a lot of it was I, you know, I've always been really fascinated with the idea of place and what does it look like to create home, to make home? What does it look like to belong to a place? And some of that kind of strangeness, though, came when my husband and I lived overseas when we were first married for graduate school. We lived in Scotland mm-hmm. and um, it just kind of gave us a different perspective on the church and what's cultural and what is Christian. Um, it gave us a different perspective on you know, modes of transportation or how you how you interact or how you have people over in your home and and mm-hmm. um, where did you by, grow up sorry to interrupt you where we, did you yeah we grew up in in the same suburbs we're living in now um in southern california in okay. orange county which is between la and san diego and um both it's funny because both of us um like our parents still live in the same houses that we came home from the hospital to oh, um wow. So we had very stable, you know, upbringings um, in suburbia. And it wasn't really, you know, until we went away to college and then got married and lived in a different city. And then after that, you know, going overseas for a few years and you realize like these places aren't just these kind of weird um, backdrops that they're actually shape and form us. Mm. Um, And it became kind of part of my academic interest in research, just this idea of I don't quite fit and what does it look like to not quite fit and yet to still do the habits to practice belonging and hospitality and yeah. um, living out our faith. But um, the particular book about suburban life really came when we moved back home to the Southern California suburbs to start a church. And um, I realized that a lot of it, a lot of my reticence to move home um, and for that call was because it was moving home, right? It felt like, who wants to go home? Like, aren't we supposed to do bigger, better, and more amazing things, you know, than our parents? Aren't we supposed to go change the world? Um, here we'd lived overseas and we'd lived in um, Salt Lake City, Utah, like these interesting places. And and yet, what does it look like to live a pretty ordinary life um, where I'm just like roped in with all the other soccer moms? And I am a soccer mom, too. <laughs> so I think I was trying to say, okay, how how can I be a, a soccer mom who loves Jesus and yet still have all these different parts of me and all these different places still that have shaped me and formed me and my spiritual walk? Mm-hmm. When you were out in Scotland, it was was that kind of the moment of realization when you went out there because it was a different culture and whatnot where you kind of zoomed out and were like, whoa, this is this is way different out here and then kind of applied that to what you were living uh, in America prior or were going to be living in America? What was yeah. that? What was that Scotland experience like for you? How did it shape it? 
Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it was just realizing, wow, I mean, things are so much older. Like I'm walking the streets that like David Hume and Adam Smith walked and Mm. I can like see their graves and, you know, knowing that these cobblestones were like street that's still there has been there for hundreds of years is just, it's a different experience of a place than where my current subdivision is that's been here for about 20 years. And before that it was like ranch land. Yeah. Um, you know, we just have a different kind of relation to our environment. And so I think that kind of definitely brought me, um, you know, to this realization that, gosh, like we have, we actually have an interaction with our places. And I think when, when we're so used to either staying put where we've always grown up or, you know, things always look the same and you can go to the same target Mm -hmm. um, again and again, that we're, we're kind of not shocked out of, out of ourselves right or our routine and like when we everything is normal and nothing is foreign i think we miss out on some of the lessons of our places yeah you talk about four idols in the book that that seem to plague believers believers that live in the suburbs can can Mm -hmm. you list those out for us and kind of expand on each one a bit sure so yeah the four idols that i go through in the book are consumerism, individualism, busyness, and safety. And, you know, an an idol is really anything that we are choosing to worship, right? Instead of worshiping the true God and even good things like Tim Keller is fond of saying can turn into idols, right? When we kind Mm. of use them as ultimate things and identity markers. And so um, the first one, consumerism is really, I, I talk about it like the mode of our life, right? It's kind of the the lane that we drive on is you know that we want to purchase um to feel like we're worth something and some of that i think is because we don't maybe have like the history of a, of a large or ancient city uh to kind of give us identity so what we kind of use to stand in for that is how much can i afford right that gives me some sort of status mm. um and you know and it can be a distraction too for our I talk a lot in the book about we have a, a homelessness, an ache, you know, a longing for for our what I believe is, you know, our heavenly home that mm-hmm. we will be placed and satiated and we won't have this longing and um, that, you know, that things really won't satisfy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we often buy, right, to satisfy some of that ache, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we feel overwhelmed. So let's go to Target. Let's go to the mall. Let's just like get rid of this icky feeling. Um, and then another idol I talk about is um, individualism. But um, when I talk about individualism, it's not to say that, you know, having a sense of self is, is unimportant. But it, it's mm-hmm. saying that what we've done primarily in Western cultures and definitely in America is everything is based on what I want, think, or feel, right? That that the all-choosing I can choose, you know, the best thing for my children or the best thing for my marriage or my community life. And if it doesn't suit me, then I'm, I'm okay to just kind of let it fall by the wayside. Um, mm-hmm. And really what we've seen because of this, like, obsession with the self, um, for the suburbs, it looks often like, Um, and obsessions with the houses, right? And square footage. And this becomes kind of our analog for the, the sovereign chooser or the self. Um, And, you know, I think it's just helpful sometimes to notice these sorts of things and go, okay, that's why, you know, for me, I take daily walks most of the time around my neighborhood. And I find myself like looking at the big houses up the hill for me and going, Mm -hmm. like, I wish I had that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And just to realize beyond that desire isn't just necessarily desire for more space. Um, we have four kids, so we could use some more space, but mm-hmm. um, it is like, I think sometimes by by having a bigger house or, you know, by having more money in the bank or by, you know, p- being able to put whatever I want in my shopping cart, um, that I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And to realize, you know, those aches aren't going to go away with the big yeah. house. Um, they're, they're deeper needs that need to be fulfilled. So and then just individualism quickly, is, yeah, yeah. is, is really, is that like the focus on wanting to stick out, stand out of be yourself and kind of be at the top of the food chain? Yeah. You know, and I think what it is too, I think they're all kind of tied up in each other because yeah. you know, the, the individual, the focus on the individual really, you know, in American culture has, has tended to say like what I want you know, live your truth, like you do you, like all of these kind of flippant phrases that we, that mm-hmm. we use. Um, what they really do is say that I'm God, um, that I get to choose how I live my life. Um, that, mm-hmm. you know, if this place on my podcast, I, I, at the Finding Holy podcast, I just recently was chatting with a guy, Brandon O'Brien, and we were talking about this idea of place and, and belonging. And what does that look like? And, you know, he said something that I found really fascinating in, in one of those interviews. And he was talking about, you know, we tend to think of our places as, um, you know, something we can transcend. And so if we have, if it's not serving my, me well, then, you know, I, I should run off to New York city, right. And become a famous actress or, mm. you know, should, or we can go, we can use our places like as a consumer good. Yeah. And so I think this, what happens with the individualism is to say that basically I'm my, I'm my best and only authority. And so, you know, the church has nothing to say to me, you know, the needs of my place has nothing to say to me. And ultimate, like even ultimately my family should not squelch this kind of inner selfhood exploration. And what it's mm. really done is it's left all of us super lonely and disconnected from yeah. our places and communities and families. Because if it's not automatically serving us, we're, we're fleeing from it and we're yeah. not embracing where we are at or finding God in where we are at or serving totally. others in where we are at mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. digging deeper in where we were at. Unfortunately, living life as a believer, there is a lot of suffering. There's a lot of suffering regardless in the world and mm-hmm. some people just choose to ignore it and, mm-hmm. and try their own ways to maneuver around it. But um, as a believer, there's there's a lot of suffering and, and a lot of that oftentimes comes from the places that we are at and in Mm -hmm. the suffering though is is glory and is god's Mm -hmm. kingdom and his revelation and and his communion and intimacy with god and that is Mm -hmm. sweet and that's something Mm -hmm. that's it's bitter to to kind of digest because no one really wants to suffer but yeah um as i've matured and gone through Mm -hmm. life i'm 31 years old now the the more I learn that God is is most is is closest to me mm-hmm. in those hard times and it's yeah it's kind of an unfortunate but at the same time it's it's awesome and reassuring because mm-hmm. I know that in my darkest struggles he's he's right there and it's so it encourages me to just like embrace where I'm at okay what what sucks about this situation right now where I'm living what's going on who you know mm-hmm. who's struggling around me like the hard times that we're facing in the family or whatever it's it's how can I embrace this how can I see God in it and how can I glorify it and then how can I flip it and use it 
to expand the kingdom and show God's glory. I think that's a huge part of it is Jonathan yeah. Pecluda, he's a pastor um, in Texas. He, he likes to say, my story for your glory. And it's like, <laughs> who are we to think that that we can just, yeah. like you said, flippantly just see like, all right, this isn't working out for me. Peace. I'm going to New York City. Right. Um, when in reality, God is using those struggles and using what we're going mm-hmm. through to help shape us so that we can, you know, use our testimony and our experience to expand the kingdom. Yeah, but you're right. It, you know, a lot of it is painful and dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, it seems easier, right, to to just tell ourselves like, well, we have, you know, we have the ability to choose and, you know, that we can purchase things and, you know, the, or we can just stay busy, Yeah. Um, which is another one of kind of the idols I mentioned is the busyness is, yeah. is another way to kind of distract ourselves from, you know, this, the sense that, um, either, you know, life has to be really exciting and, you know, either when we, there's a Christian view of that, right. That we're going off and we're doing all these things, mm-hmm. we're changing the world. Um, or, you know, that we are so kind of fear bound about what could happen, you know, that we, um, you know, end up isolating ourselves as well. So, um, but busyness is a, is a, is a very real way in which most people, at least where I'm from in the suburbs kind of get by is, um, we don't have to think about the big questions as long as we keep, you know, driving our cars places and purchasing things. (laughs) Yeah. It's the most common response when you see someone at church or just like at dinner or at the grocery store, how are you doing? Busy. We're busy. And it's, it's almost like sometimes you or we or they are wearing that as a badge of honor. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, I mean, I can see yeah, the like, trap who of are that. you if you're not busy, right? Yeah, that's not be important. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing then? Yeah, you're right. just sitting at home. But right. why, why? You kind of touched on it, but why exactly is that a bad thing to be busy? I mean, we are, we are busy. You have four kids. I'm assuming you're right. super busy. I have three kids, and I'm yeah. very busy. So yeah, I can only imagine. But what? Why is that such a bad thing? Right. I think it's, it's really, you know, when busyness becomes a state of our heart, um, it becomes dangerous. Um, I mm. think we can have full lives, um, you know, and we can have good boundaries of like, okay, this is like, we've had, you know, like this week, we currently have something like every night. And so it's like next week, we need to make sure that that doesn't happen, you know, so that we can kind of have times where it's full, but then there's times where we step back and, um, and take things slower or, you know, you start your day in prayer and silence and scripture reading and Mm -hmm. these sorts of things that help push back against the idea that to be busy is to be loved or to be busy is to be important. Um, that you tell yourself even in your body, like different, the different story, Mm -hmm. the gospel story says, you know, you are actually loved because of Jesus and what he has done rather than, you know, how much, how many miles you're putting on the car to your kids activities or, you know, how many volunteer things you're doing. Um, cause, so when busyness becomes a state of the heart um, versus just something on, on, with your calendar, um, mm-hmm. that's where it becomes primarily dangerous. But I think a lot of it looks like the way that you make sure you don't have a busy heart is by actually taking things off your calendar. Exactly. Yeah. The, 
the guy that I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, Anthony Seiler, mm-hmm. his one of his big points is the calendar is sacred, and they are mm-hmm. they are very mm-hmm. intentional about their calendar mm-hmm. and what they fill their lives with. And even if there is nothing on the calendar, and say, you know, I reach out to Ashley and she has nothing on the on the calendar for today, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that she should fill it up. It's like, no, there's right. nothing on there. I'm today is mm-hmm. just a rest day, and it's it's yeah. okay to rest. And we'll get into mm-hmm. that later. I'm assuming. So, mm-hmm. consumerism, individualism, busyness, and the last one is safety um i think which seems like a good thing to me safety seems like it does right yeah we yeah we definitely want to be like just be stupid and go run into the street children yeah um and but i think there's an idolization of of safety and particularly in american suburbs where um i mean i just look at the facebook group where we are at the mom's group and it's like people freaking out about every small thing like oh my gosh there's <laughs> teenagers who are like walking by my door and you know like you know every po- like because we have so much access right where you can like read the police yeah. um, blurbs and like you know we know so much about all of the horrible things in this world um that we can react to that by saying, okay, I'm going to control everything. You know, I'm going to never let my children out of my sight. Um, I, you know, that kid watches something bad on TV and, or his language is bad. So there's no way he's going to be a friend to my child. Um, you know, what, what, what we're essentially saying in those sorts of fearful idolization of safety is that we don't actually believe that the gospel can transform people. Mm. Um, we don't. And what, it, and what we're telling God is, you know, thanks very much. Appreciate what you've done for me, but I'm going to keep my people safe. Yeah. Um, and it, we're not actually risking anything for the kingdom of God when we idolize safety. Um, and so I think, you know, I was just speaking with a friend today actually about it doesn't mean we're stupid. Um, you know, it doesn't mean yeah. we just like let our kids roam around, but we have to hold intention that, you know, even if the worst could happen, uh, that God is good and that he will get glory, you know, from our story, like mm-hmm. we were just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think there's a sense in which we can easily think we are just doing our job, especially when it comes to parenting by keeping our kids safe. But really what we're doing is we are insulating our children from, diversity we're insulating our children from Mm. pain and suffering which like you've said are our primary teachers Mm -hmm. um and we're not allowing them to actually experience the transformation of god when we um protect them from every possible thing um i just think about it when my oldest son was one and he was like running around the playground and you know you see it like in slow motion where he's like trips and falls and like the the edge of his um, forehead's like going right towards the edge of the stairs, right? And you can't get there. Um, mm-hmm. And he gets the goose egg. And thankfully, that was as bad as it was. But I think particularly as parents, we can continue to do that, like try to protect our kids from harm instead of releasing them um, in little bits and stages. Uh, so, so and, and ultimately knowing like that they are not ours and that they are God's kids. Yeah, that's a tough and dynamic. It's scary. That's a, yeah, yeah, that's a really tough dynamic because as a parent, you you love your children so right. much, un, just unconditionally, and it's I mean, you, it's ineffable because it's it's just so overwhelming how much you love your kids, and 
you want to protect them from everything, but right. you know that these tougher situations, like you said, are the the best learning experiences, and it's that's a tough dynamic to navigate. I'm it's thinking so about hard. my. I was at school um, before this school year started. I'm a teacher, and I brought my mm-hmm. my four year old daughter with me, and there was mm-hmm. another teacher who had um, his daughter there. She's like eight. And then another Mm -hmm. little girl was like nine and they were playing Mm -hmm. around my classroom. And my four-year-old wanted to like play with them because she really looks up to older girls and whatnot. And a couple Mm -hmm. hours into it, she came running into my class in tears and she was like, daddy, daddy, daddy. They they said that they didn't want to play with me or to go away Mm -hmm. or something. And Mm -hmm. I I could have murdered two little girls. Right. You know, (laughs) I was like, this is like, where are they? And it's like, okay, you're not hanging out with them anymore. We're staying away from those little girls and whatnot. But it's like that I could flip that. And okay, Gia, my daughter's name, Mm -hmm. how, you know, how can I turn this into a learning experience? How can I mm-hmm. flip this and teach teach her about her worth or, you know, mm-hmm. kindness mm-hmm. or love towards them regardless of what mm-hmm. they show to her and, and then mm-hmm. encourage her to go back out there or to go ba- out on her own mm-hmm. and be creative or something like that instead mm-hmm. of shelter her and say, okay, now right. you're staying next to me for the rest of the day right. and here's a sucker, sit on that and I'm right. put on Frozen yeah. for you, you know, it's right. like, yeah. go back out there, like yeah. go back back out there and do it and Mm -hmm. that teaches her resilience and it teaches her Mm -hmm. to just like you know overcome instead of like okay when something bad happens you come sit by daddy and sulk in the corner and you get you get a reward you get treats and whatnot right right it's hard and it's so hard because especially with our kids it's like well I can take deprivation or you know people being frustrated with me but like god help the kid who's mean to my kid right yeah exactly Um, it's a death uh, wish on that kid's right, part. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. So when it comes to our kids and yet, we, you know, we know if, if God, the father, you know, to love his fallen people, right. Gave mm-hmm. Jesus yeah, and that really love doesn't look like um, safety really. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't look like um, it looks like sacrifice uh, for a greater love. Yeah. And I think you touched on a little bit the the diversity factor of getting your (laughs) kids out in front of people and exposing them to the world. Mm -hmm. And um, I know Seth Godin likes to say that Mm -hmm. that public schools are, are the great uh, how's he phrase it? Just the great exposing factor to to our kids as far as mm-hmm. what the world is made up of, and mm-hmm. and that we're doing kids a complete disservice if we're if we're sheltering them from these public schools or public places mm-hmm. where they can see different mm-hmm. colors and different socioeconomic mm-hmm. levels and whatnot. And um, but again, it's like that. I want my stu- my kid to go to the best school and get the best mm-hmm. education and be around kids that aren't going to be mean to her or influence them or, um, you know, whose parents mm-hmm. aren't this or that. But the other, which is totally like I see that. But the other side of that is like they they need to see maybe these evils or these struggles yeah. or this mm-hmm. other side of life so that you can turn that into a a learning lesson and Mm -hmm. and talk to them about little Johnny's dad and why, you know, he doesn't have his mom or vice versa or whatever it is, you know? And uh, I think that we need to embrace that a little bit more as parents. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard, you know, and really, you know, it really comes down to where am I finding my ultimate safety? You know, is it in, 
is it in God? And am I like practically doing that in my daily life? Or do I just kind of use God and faith and the church as these kind of abstract things that I sort of believe, but they haven't really worked themselves out into my daily life? Absolutely. You know, um, that's going to help us show that and to model that for our children. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a huge point. That's a huge point. I think we we so easily just keep it all surface level and God is good yeah. and God is everything that's good. And we, we like to keep it on the surface so that it doesn't penetrate super deep because those mm-hmm. get really hard and we struggle. So, um, we're just a little bit afraid to completely relinquish control. But mm-hmm. as we've said, that's, that's where the growth happens. So yeah. consumerism, individualism, busyness, safety, you talk about those four things in great detail in the mm-hmm. book and it's awesome. Um, and then you go on to talk about repentance. What exactly is repentance to you and, and how does repentance help us? Mm-hmm. Well, repentance, right in the biblical sense is, um, both a turning away, um, you know, a turning from sin and, you know, all of these kind of false desires, um, you know, all the things we use to fill up our attention, our, our loves, our affections, um, to kind of push off, even just keep us distracted. So a turning from sin, right. And a turning towards the, the story of the kingdom of God. So it's both Mm -hmm. kind of a turning away, not just like, I'm going to stop being busy, um, but also turning towards like, what is God calling me into? How is he asking me to love others, to love this place, to love the people in front of me? Um, what is, how has he made me? All of these kind of questions of identity, um, are part of repentance. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So moving away, so turning away and then moving towards Jesus, mm-hmm. what are some things as we are moving towards Jesus practically that we can do to help us make progress away from the safety, the busyness, the individualism, mm-hmm. the consumerism, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and help us live a more holy life? Mm-hmm. Well, what's fun too, in the back of every chapter in Finding Holy in the Suburbs, I do, I really wanted to help connect the dots and make things practical so people could have like a small starting point. Because I know for me, I can get super overwhelmed or even super excited about ideas and like, oh, I'm going to like live for God here in the suburbs. And then yeah. I'm like, well, you know, two weeks later, I'm back to my you know, Netflix yeah. binge watching or something. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I think a lot of it is finding some small practical starting places and then also you know bringing other people along into that journey because if it's just individual if it's just solitary we're not likely to see a lot of change um Mm -hmm. so um yeah like if you are interested you there i have a small group guide too for finding holy in the suburbs and um there's some discussion questions in the back so those are some kind of just very practical kind of starting points but Mm -hmm. you know i would say for me um to kind of create space for repentance um, is is really thinking about kind of the outline um, of your day. Um, And, you know, are there places in your day where you can simply pause and and to practice praying, even if you don't really know where to start, like practice praying like a historic um, prayer um, that you could find online, um, the the Lord's Prayer, we confess, right, in the Lord's Prayer. Mm -hmm. And this idea to even just Jesus have mercy on me, a sinner, which is all throughout the Gospels. And even just saying, yeah, just saying, okay, I'm going to pray that every day while I sit down and eat my lunch or Mm -hmm. when I warm up my second cup of coffee is kind of creating these normal daily rhythms of, of repentance and trusting that, you know, as that expands and, you know, as you have time for 
for longer periods that that God will be faithful and bring things to mind, right? That mm-hmm. you need to re- repent of. Or, yeah, you're reading a good book or you're having a conversation and you realize, ugh, like, you know, trust that the Holy Spirit will be moving in your heart and life in really small, subtle ways as, as you kind of practice these habits of paying attention to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> what does the first hour of your day typically look like? Well, it depends if I wake up early to write or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but if I do wake up early to write, which... Um, was is a very sweet time um I get you know bleary-eyed and I make myself a cup of tea um because the coffee is uh the coffee grinder is way too loud and I'll wake up everybody (laughs) in my house so I make myself a cup of tea I sit on our couch uh, with some blankets and I do spend um a few minutes in silence um I've gone through Pete Scazzaro, he has a, a whole kind of deal and courses called the Emotionally Healthy mm-hmm. Leader. And um, he has some resources like these 40-day devotionals, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And so I often do that, when, which involves several minutes of silence and a, a short scripture reading and then several minutes of silence at the end. Um, and and just kind of commit my writing time uh, to God. And then I just try to dig in and <laughs> do the hard work. Yeah. Um and, uh, but if it, if, if I have slept in what my other morning routine looks like is madly trying to get all my children out of bed, um, without <laughs> shouting and screaming, making the coffee do, quick, doing the lunches, um, trying not to insult my children if they haven't brushed their hair, brushed their teeth, uh, too much. And we, we do get out the door. We walk our kids to our local public school, um, so as long as I have a cup of coffee and I can, I, I move my body and then I come back and the house is quiet and then I, otherwise then I can have my time of silence and confess um, my poor attitude towards the, <laughs> my children as I've shuffled them all off to their yeah. various schools. <laughs> when you talk about writing, are you writing a new book or are you journaling or? You know, a lot of it is article writing, but yes, I have started um, on a new book project. So yes. Awesome. That's exciting. So back to a little bit of the the more practical stuff going towards God and making progress. Um, Some things that you mentioned, one is hospitality. Mm -hmm. How how does that play a role in transforming how we are living our lives? Yeah, so I think really what these kind of practices are kind of the flip side, right, of some of those idols we talked about beforehand. And so, you know, you can think of hospitality um, as a way to be generous with your space. Um, It's a way to not be as concerned, right, about your safety. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to schedule it and plan it. So there has has to be a reckoning with busyness. Um, So hospitality, really, I I love to think about it as making room um, and often making room to actually be present. Um, And I think that helps us because I think when we think of hospitality, we think of the hospitality industry or you think of Pinterest or like Instagram photos where everyone's like beautiful and they have like this tablescape and, Mm -hmm. you know, their charcuterie board looks like it took them five days to put together (laughs) and you can be like, oh gosh, I can't have someone over and to my home. It's sticky and gross and we leave our dirty socks around. And so how can I be hospitable? But I think if we start by thinking, okay, it really is, it starts with a heart posture of trying to make room for other people. It's not about me or my house or how fancy or beautiful anything is. It's just, how can I be present to someone? And I think when we've been given the gift of presence by another person, 
we like we're not looking to see if they're hip and cool and like have anything together. We just actually feel seen and known and loved. Yes. Um, and if we can get outside of our own heads long enough to actually work at seeing other people, um, we have a lot of gifts to offer our neighborhoods and um, even our own family. But I do think there are practical, um, you know, practical steps we have to take too. So it's not just like I'm going to like theoretically be present for people. You know, it looks like you're you know making plans on your calendar. It looks like making room in your budget. It looks like choosing to have people over into your home instead of, you know, it's easy to just meet up at a local cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, none of which is bad, but you know, to, I think hospitality means you're, you're giving something of yourself and you're opening, you know, an intimate space like your home towards other, for other people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said, something that I would like to underscore is when you're with other people, you are able to get outside of your own head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in, in today's day and age with technology and social media and everything like that, that that is such an important thing. I was actually thinking mm-hmm. about that this morning as my wife left, my kids are at school and mm-hmm. I'm kind of getting ready for this interview and hanging out at the house. And I just felt alone and I just yeah. felt like I started to get like depressive feelings come come mm-hmm. along and I deal with uh, depression and anxiety quite mm-hmm. a bit. And I'm like, man. It's just like cold. It's it's December yeah. right now, and <laughs> yeah, I'm like dark. kind of lonely and dark. <laughs> yeah. So so I went and took a vitamin D K two supplement <laughs> first. Yeah, and then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I um and I just sat there like, man, should I hit up my brother? Should I hit up my dad? Like, mm. it's it's so important for us to be in relationship mm-hmm. with other people around us and to talk with mm-hmm. other people around us. And and I firmly believe that that God speaks, one of his main ways of speaking to us is through other believers. Mm-hmm. And if we're not around other believers, then right. we're not going to get that voice and that influence. And we can get outside of our own heads. And our, mm-hmm. our heads are so negative and our, we, we create <laughs> yeah. these yeah. narratives that are so damaging. And it's a lot of the time hard for us to sit with ourselves. Well, I can speak mm-hmm. for myself, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's so therapeutic to just be with other mm-hmm. people, but mm-hmm. it takes mm-hmm. effort and it takes mm-hmm. something else that you t- touched on in the book, which is vulnerability. Yeah. Can you speak to the importance of vulnerability? Yeah, you know, I think we can we can be with other people and, you know, surely that's um, helpful, right? Like we're social beings, but, um, but if we aren't actually making space for a vulnerable community and we're just like all surfacing shallow or like talking mm-hmm. about our latest vacation, like we're really not knowing people, right? We're just yeah. like exchanging information about how cool we are or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so vulnerability really, um, I love Andy Crouch. He talks about vulnerability in his book, Strong and Weak. And he, he talks about um, power and vulnerability in this relationship together. And he talks about vulnerability as exposure to meaningful risk. And I think most of us tend to think of vulnerability as it, you know, it's been popularized with Brene Brown and Mm -hmm. um, it's become kind of a buzzword now, but we tend to think of it as just emotional transparency. And I think when we think of it as emotional transparency, what what that looks like is whoever is most like emotionally emotive, um, like we say that they're being like authentic or they're being vulnerable and therefore they're being quote unquote true to themselves. Um, And it becomes a character trait that we want to emulate. But if we think of uh, vulnerability as exposure to meaningful risk, it, it doesn't mean it's always like emotional, right? It might be having a hard conversation um, mm-hmm. with someone that's vulnerable, right? You're putting, you know, saying your expectations or you've been 
you know, your expectations haven't been met. Like that's a very vulnerable conversation or speaking truth to power. That's vulnerable. You're putting yourself in a place where you can lose a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think the idea of exposure to meaningful risk means that one, we are participating in community um, you're not going to risk a lot, right. When you're at home and um, by yourself. Yep. Um, but it also means uh, that we have the potential for that community to really grow and deepen um, in really beautiful ways that looks different to an unbelieving world. Yeah, too. absolutely. I think it's also a breath of fresh air when you're being vulnerable for people mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they can kind of realize that, uh, oh, okay, they're they're being real. I can take right. off my mask now. Yeah, I don't have to keep pretending I can actually be who I am. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have friends in your life that you're that you're vulnerable with or how how do you go about uh manifesting your vulnerability mm, that's such a great question you know it's tricky um so my husband is a church planter and we have a small congregation here in south orange county called resurrection in orange county and it's different i think you know when you are at the helm of an organization or yeah. um you know the church like the type of vulnerability that you're able to offer in a leadership position has to be a little bit different than everyone else. Um, because, because you're, because you're, I think because you're a leader, right. Mm-hmm. That there is kind of a burden of, you know, I can't, you know, if someone's frustrating me and I feel angry about, you know, someone else in the congregation, I can't just go be vulnerable yeah. with someone else, right. <laughs> and share that information. Um, you know, um, uh, besides, uh, it being maybe a breach of confidentiality as well, but, um, you know, the, that there's, but so I think, you know, wherever we are in kind of in, in the same way that it would be inappropriate, right. For a parent to kind of let loose on their child, right. Mm-hmm. About like all of their feelings or, um, frustrations or, you know, like they're feeling vulnerable because their, um, you know, financial situation isn't, Mm-hmm. very stable, right? Like it's inappropriate in that position, right? To be like passing on all your own anxieties uh, to someone who's not mature enough to handle it. Mm-hmm. And I think in any kind of leadership capacity, there is a little bit of that line. And so for me, um, I think, you know, I am very transparent with our congregation and with friends and neighbors about like, I don't have it all together. Yes, I doubt Jesus. And yes, like I yelled at my kids on the way to church and like, there's grace for that. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think a lot of kind of the deeper vulnerabilities, uh, the deeper anxieties, you know, I work through with a counselor, with a spiritual director, um, with my husband, um, with other people on staff at our church and, um, and with a really good friend, uh, that I've, that she's also a pastor's wife in another part of the country. And so she's not in my local life, but, um, you know, we have a long history together. So I think it's finding those safe, totally safe spaces and then realizing that maybe vulnerability too is kind of concentric circles of, mm-hmm. of relation. Yeah. That, that line you were talking about as far as leadership and being vulnerable, it's, I, I could totally see that. And the, and there's two sides of it. I feel like because the, the congregation and the people do not want someone up there that's holier than thou. Right. And especially the younger generations, the millennials right, and all them, sure. yeah. you know, they, they yeah. want someone who's real. And I mentioned Jonathan Pakluda earlier and he <laughs> is, are you familiar with Jonathan Pakluda? Um, no, he was, um, he's out in Texas. Like I said, he's, uh-huh. he's written a couple books, uh, 
Welcome to Adulting, and he has a great podcast. Okay. And he was yeah, I think yeah, I've heard of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's he's awesome. Um, but he's super vulnerable, and he talks about all his struggles and um, you know, his his salvation por- from pornography and drugs and uh-huh. living yeah. like a party lifestyle and stuff. And he at one time when he was with the porch in Dallas, Texas, had the mm-hmm. biggest young adults ministry in the world. They were serving like hundreds of thousands of, of young adults each week. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he attributes a lot of that to just being so real and so transparent mm-hmm. and going up there mm-hmm. and being like, look, like on my way to give this sermon, I clicked on an inappropriate hashtag. Yeah. And like that is super vulnerable for a right. pastor to go up and say, yeah. and he gets a lot of flack for it. But mm-hmm. he talks about how at the end of that sermon, there was a line of a couple hundred kids wanting to talk to him, which mm-hmm. has never happened mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, that that completely mm-hmm. resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I need I need your guidance from that. I need you to speak yeah. to me about that a little bit more. Like, I feel like I can confide in you. And mm-hmm. it's just so important to to be real, and it's it's mm-hmm. a it's a burden off the others, but it's also a burden off yourself. And man, right. I've had I had an experience last night that I won't go into detail here. I'm gonna probably save it for a topical episode soon. But mm-hmm. it just I was probably the most vulnerable and humbled mm-hmm. I've ever been in my entire mm-hmm. life last night, um, and I was broken down and. But it was so sweet and such a weight lifted off my shoulders. And my wife was like, I'm so proud of you. And it was just mm-hmm. like, that stuff is so healing and it's it so is. hard to do, but it's so important. And I feel like that in and of itself uh, is is kind of the solution to a lot of the things that we are facing is, is, is vulnerability and mm-hmm. that in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think. The challenge for, you know, us as we consider vulnerability is, you know, we can use that as just another kind of power wielding weapon too, right? We can like, we can perform it, right? We can, you know, practice kind of sharing some, you know, deep, dark secret um, to kind of gain a a fast track to intimacy. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a situation with, uh, with a friend that I got to know really quickly and we just were like super deep, really fast and it it kind of, I realized, oh gosh, like there's, there's a, there's appropriate, there's an appropriate boundary line too to vulnerability. Um, there's appropriate trust, um, and just length of time, uh, too, right. With that, we can kind of give that as a gift to someone versus it can sometimes make relationships, um, just stickier, right. Um, as we, as we go about it. Yeah. I feel like females are honestly better at doing it just naturally. Yeah. yeah. Then males as well. I, I had John Eldridge, I'm sure you know mm-hmm. him on the podcast yeah. and yeah. was yeah. talking to him about how he navigates that. And mm-hmm. he had some mm-hmm. great advice. He just said, talk to people about their story because it's hard mm-hmm. for me to say like, Hey, Ashley, how are you? What are you struggling with lately? Right. You know? like, well, yeah, it's yeah. like, wow. Hi, Nick. You know, like, right. <laughs> um, yeah. but talking about people's story, like, what's your story, man? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. tell me about how you got to this place or how you Mm -hmm. developed your faith Mm -hmm. or, you know, Mm -hmm. what the last year has been like for you. But just like all, all we have is our stories. That's, that's what's real to us. That's what's true to us. And I feel like the more each of us can share our stories and that's why I love podcasting and blogs and social Mm -hmm. media and whatnot, if they're Mm -hmm. used correctly, but if we can all share our stories authentically, authentically and vulnerable, um, Mm -hmm. then 
then it's going to be powerful and we can all learn from each other. There's a lot mm-hmm. of wisdom to be learned uh, mm-hmm. from our experiences and, and we can kind of piggyback on one another and, and get some valuable insight. But unfortunately, it's it's just not a, a place in today's world where a lot of people are, are taking that risk. But I think the the enlightenment is coming and people are going to start moving in that direction. And I kind of want to start doing that more on social media and more with the podcast. Like, look, like, yeah. I don't want to appear perfect to anyone. I mean, part of me does <laughs> want to appear perfect. Right. <laughs> but um I I want to start a vulnerable conversation with everyone so that they can have a vulnerable conversation with me and we can all mm. just like be intimate with each other and learn from each other. Yeah, definitely like there's such a gift in taking off, you know, the kind of pretenses um that we spend so much time kind of building up as part of our identity and actually being honest with who we are and then, you know, then placing ourselves kind of under um, the authority, not only of scripture and the story of the gospel, but, you know, within our local congregations and, you know, so that we, it's not just simply like, Hey, let's just be real and just like air dirty laundry, but right. Like what are we moving towards um, in, in those vulnerable conversations and how are we reminding ourselves about what's true um, in the midst of our struggles and temptations? Mm hmm. How has writing this book impacted the way you use and view social media? Mm, yeah, well, I think, um, you know, it's challenging too, right, as an author, because you kind of have, like, you kind of have to be on social media. Sometimes I just want to, like, check so, it and be like, totally, I know. Um, <laughs> like, I'm so done. Um, but, I mean, some of it, I have, I'm trying to be more disciplined, just being like, okay, like, work books, speaking, podcast stuff, I'm just going to like try to schedule it. Um, so that when I'm actually like on my phone, I'm not like, Oh gosh, someone said this and I have to be a part of this conversation or mm-hmm. have to be a part of this conversation. Just feeling like you have to be present all the time on social media. Yeah. Um, and so to say like, okay, are there times of the day where, and I'm by no means great on this, but like I can pop in and actually participate in conversations that mean something or respond to the retweets and, you know, the Instagram, whatever, hearts and comments. And, you know, are there times when I can actually engage real people on this um, and not feel either pressured to always be there or um, like I'm going to miss out on something uh, or like, or do you use social media as a distraction from like the heart of my normal life? Right. It's Mm -hmm. so much more fun to like talk with strangers on the internet than it is to like, make my kids clean their room or do the laundry so yeah yeah. Yeah, it's a temptation for sure it is it's hard carlos whitaker i'm not sure if you know him um but he he's he used to sing for or he used to be a worship leader for north point with andy Uh stanley and Uh he wrote a book called uh kill the spider awesome dude and he has a practice that i thought was cool he he only allows himself to go on Instagram. So he deletes the Instagram app because he yeah. puts a ton of stuff on Instagram, a ton. He documents yeah. his entire life. But yeah. so you would think that he has he's on Instagram all day, but he um, only allows himself between 12 and 1 to redownload oh, the great. app and then like uh-huh. 8 and 9 p.m. So if he misses uh-huh, that window, like if he has right. a lunch meeting from 12 to 1, then right. the next time he can use it is 8 to 9. And you'll mm-hmm. ask like, well, how do you get stuff on your stories? He's like, dude, I just I just video record it with my video right app, you know and then right. i just then upload he puts it. it all up yeah exactly which In i think hours. is a cool little strategy because it's it's 
it's so consuming and it's so like default mode for right. I think a lot of us, including me, mm -hmm. just to like, oh, I'm waiting in right. the checkout line or yeah. I'm waiting for this or that or my kids to do this. So I'm just going to open Instagram and then we're yeah. just doing all this subconscious dirty work of right. comparison and envy right. and all these things. Yeah. And all of those form us, you know, just like our places form yep. us and we are not really paying attention often to how our places form us. Like social media isn't, it's like a disembodied space, right? Different disembodied place that also forms us. And I think, you know, I just hope that we are, we're doing a better job of just even starting to notice, okay, how is this forming me? You know, how is this shaping my character? How is this forming my loves and desires either, you know, toward God or away from God? How is this helping me love my neighbor or not? Um, mm -hmm. You know, or how am I like just distracting myself? So I don't even have to think about any of these sorts of questions. Yeah. And we're called to be disciples and fisher of men. And it's, we can, we can use it to expand the kingdom so easily through things that mm -hmm. you've talked about, through vulnerability, through mm -hmm. showing some type of generosity or mm -hmm. hospitality or whatever it is and, and quotes and our stories and mm -hmm. spreading love mm -hmm. and, and people really, really attract to that. But, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately right now it's just kind of like a, a, a megaphone for, for how awesome we are, which sucks, <laughs> yeah. but we need to change that. Yeah. 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 What are some things that we've talked about raising children and whatnot, but, yeah. but what are some things that you're really intentional about in the way you parent your kids after doing a lot of the research and writing a lot of the articles and writing a book mm -hmm. and stuff like that? Are, are there some things that you're really intentional about, intentional about as far as your parenting? Mm -hmm. You know, one thing um, I have tried to just be honest with is to set a really low bar when I'm trying to develop like a new habit. Um, because I think for a lot of us, we kind of think like, if it's not going to be amazing or beautiful or perfect or like exactly how I want it, if it's not ideal, then I'm just not even going to bother. At least like that's for me. It's like for all the kids, you mean like when you're trying to establish a habit for the kids? Well, for myself, too. Okay. Right. Okay. But, uh, um, like, so we started doing, you know, we try to do like a weekly Advent reading on Sundays after, um, and during the season of Advent mm -hmm. as we kind of to help our kids learn how to prepare um, for Christmas, right? And so we have Advent candles and like I hadn't gotten out, we were gone over Thanksgiving, I hadn't gotten all the stuff out of the, like, anywhere, you know, to set up Christmas, you know, I'm already feeling behind on everything and um I simply just like grabbed some candles and we had takeout on Sunday <laughs> night and it was like takeout boxes and the candle on the middle of the dining room table. But like we could sing, Oh come the long expected Jesus. I could light the candle and we could pray and it was yeah. fine. And so I think some of these sorts of like, you know, spiritual disciplines or like having people in our home and, you know, we can tend to think of, we can never do them because we're expecting perfect or ideal mm -hmm. um, or perfect timing. And so my first, yeah, a little bit was like set the bar super low and just do it um, is something I've kind of learned to grow into. Um, but, you know, as I think about parenting and the kind of intentional habits and practices, one thing we have tried to do just recently in the last few months is to help our kids get a better understanding of Sabbath rest. Mm. Um, that God has given us all things and we don't have to work to be loved. We don't have to achieve to be loved, uh, that he gives us rest. And really it's a rest that doesn't stem from, you know, our work being finished. And so we've earned it. Um, but a rest that just says, Hey, this is a gift, this one day in seven. And so 
we haven't, you know, I'd love to do more, um, but starting out slow and small, what I, what we've tried to do is say, okay, in the afternoons, cause my husband's a pastor. And so we kind of start our Sabbath Sunday afternoons after church, of course, church is a part of it, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. um, after nap time, um, uh, we sit down at the table and we have dessert and we light candles and we drink tea. And sometimes we'll like try to either talk about something from the sermon or, you know, we'll just say one thing that we noticed in each other about God working in their little kids' lives. And, you know, I don't usually make it. I usually buy it, uh, the dessert. Um, you know, often the table's a mess still, and so the work doesn't stop. And yet to say, okay, we're going to pause, and we're going to start with dessert first before before dinner, you know, something special. Because I want my kids to delight, right, in the rhythms and habits of the, of the church and yeah. not be like, you know, Sabbath means you can't do anything exactly. and you can't play sports and, you know, it's, it's all restriction and maybe Jesus is all restriction. Um, yes. But yeah, so we're trying to, to start there as one kind of intentional, um, joyful, restful um, habit for, for our Sunday Sabbaths. But um, other than that, as far as kind of parenting practices, um, you know, I, like I hope for a lot of growth, but a lot of stuff I think is we're just trying to say, okay, can we do like dinner devotions a few times a week or we're going through a catechism, you know, um, questions and answers, um, that kind of encapsulate Christian belief. And we're using, it's called the new city catechism. It comes out of, um, redeemer in New York city, Mm -hmm. which have kind of um, just made the the wording a little bit easier to understand than some of the more ancient catechisms. Is that and, Tim, that's Tim Keller, yeah? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of people, I think, um, were a part of that process. But that's something my husband has said that, like, our kids can't get their driver's license until they have the catechism memorized. Wow. <laughs> uh, but he said, you know, you can hold me to it if I don't do it, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, then that's you're awesome. okay. You're off the hook. Um, and so we've tried to do that as, you know, like a family practice. We're kind of out of the habit, honestly, about it, but we'll get it back on because that's what you do, right? You yep. you start these habits um, and you fall off and then you start again and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but but one thing about the catechism um, there is besides the 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 hook of the um, the driver's license at some point is um, you know really I, I know that they're going to go through pain and suffering and doubt and disbelief um, most likely and I want some of these words about the truth of who God is and the truth of who they are to be in their subconscious. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of a formative practice that we hope will bring, you know, bring them back to Jesus and his church if they stray. That's good. That's really good. Ashley, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Where can people find you online? Yeah, my website is aahills.com and I also host the Finding Holy podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and I'm on Twitter and Instagram mostly also at aahills. Sweet. I'll put all those links in the show notes as well. Thanks again, Ashley. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. A special thanks to King's Kaleidoscope for the instrumental used on the intro and outro of this podcast. Also, a big thanks to the good people at Capital Floats, which is Northern California's premier sensory deprivation and float tank facility. I am a frequent user there, and the experience is transformative to say the least. And for listeners of this podcast, they are offering an exclusive deal of 40% off the normal price for a single float. Just go to capitalfloats.com and use the promo code 
Life Enchanted with no spaces at checkout. If you're in Northern California, you definitely want to take advantage of this. Please remember that I am not a doctor, so definitely consult your physician before making any sudden diet, supplement, or lifestyle changes suggested in any of these episodes. If you're interested in connecting with me, you can send an email to nick, N-I-C-K, at mylifeenchanted.com, or you can find me on Instagram at mylifeenchanted. Peace.